0: Good evening and welcome to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio today by Ting Ye, the founder of Cataglan Media. Good to be here. And we're joined on the phone this evening by Alexander Gorlag, an affiliate professor at Harvard and currently a visiting scholar at the National Taiwan University. Good evening, Alexander.
1: Hey, how are you, Gavin?
0: And tonight we discuss a couple of US-Taiwan bills, China flight routes, a Taiwan-made television series being yanked off air in China, moves to remove illegal factories from farmland, and infected USB sticks. But we'll begin, of course, where we have to begin, and the long-awaited and either applauded or condemned new amendments to the Labour Standards Act, which were passed by lawmakers earlier this week after a mammoth 18-hour session. Now, the Presidential Office says the government will continue to better protect Labour rights in the wake of the latest amendments, to the amendments, to the amendments, to the amendments, and there we go on. Meanwhile, Premier William Lyce. Says the new amendments will allow flexible work time arrangements that he says will promote cooperation between employers and employees and also boost economic development. While the General Chamber of Commerce says that the flexibility provided by the amendments is being welcomed by the whole of the business sector. But not everyone is in such a happy mood about it, however. As Labour rights groups who spend much of the week standing around in the cold and rainy weather protesting the government's proposals say they plan to hold a referendum in a bid to overrule the amendments. And they argue that the new laws will place a heavier burden on workers and also result in longer working hours. Now, the revision is scheduled to take effect on March the 1st. And because I've done it before here's the highlights of the latest amendments to the amendments to the amendments. Employees will be able to work 54 hours of overtime per month, and that's up from the previous 46 hours, with a cap of 138 hours over a three-month period. Employees can work 12 days in a row if employers and employees agree, and the mandatory break between shifts has been cut from 11 hours to 8. However, companies must get approval for that from related government agencies and also from their workers. Compensation on Flexible rest days will be calculated now based on the actual amount of time worked and not within a range. Compensatory leave can be used as remuneration for overtime work instead of getting extra overtime pay. And unused annual leave acquired over a one-year period can now be carried over to next year's. Well, Jetting, it took a while and it took a lot of protests and the protests were ignored and the backers applauded it.
2: Yeah, and um, I think a small part of me is kind of glad that this whole issue is put to rest, at least for now, um, because I think this issue has taken up so much of our attention and so much of our efforts and and energy uh, politically in this country that, um, you know, I I do feel that I think it's time to kind of see what else is going on.
1: For me, it's like, I mean, the whole debate is rather like, it's... um it's surprising because okay flexibility that's more like a buzzword from the nineties or from the early years of this century and there is you have there is something to it that if it's if it's done in accordance between employers and employees, you can really reach some flexibility in a certain sense however this is um uh, not some white colored jobs that is uh directed to it uh, it's it's blue colored jobs and that usually like if we look into the past it's rather leading into a big uh, advantage for the employers uh, other than the employees. So I this is all the, all the rhetoric that has been deployed. It sounded rather to me like a 19th century uh, Manchester capitalism rather than a 21st century society that moved on in the last 50 years from being like manufacturing clothes for the West, now being like producing uh, um, high-level skills like uh, um, iPhones and uh, uh, smartphones and, and laptops. So, the next step would be something even even more um, uh, dainty and diligent and not going back to a to the ideas of a simply like um, producing uh, manufacturing society.
0: labor rights groups have said that this is not flexible, while well, of course, the chambers of commerce have all said this is incredibly flexible
1: uh- oh, but that's like all this is, this is like the same rhetoric all over the place and and to me it's like you do not have necessarily to be on the left side of the aisle to criticize that. I'm just wondering where they see Taiwan in the next 10, 15, 20 years. If you look into Mexico or India, um, countries that are, um, you know, in the last decades, highly specialized in manufacturing, they also move, they all move some, to or try to move somewhere else, like letting older young people, like, rather code and manufacture. And I think if these bigger countries see that as their stance for the future, also Taiwan should not retrieve to ideas that seem to be, like, from the middle of the last century
2: no i i mean i don't disagree with that and in fact um about 2 3 months ago on this very show i did say that the laws um seems to put the um seems to signal at least a message that um you know we we are going to um the government is going to give um some benefits to the manufacturing sector um i think sort of thinking about this you know at at this point I mean I am definitely not saying Taiwan should be stuck in a primarily manufacturing economy um but in, on the other hand there are still quite a lot of manufacturing um you know man, manufacturing industries that's uh, going on in Taiwan um you know many of them are not large scale enterprises that can you know circumvent or sort of you know bear the brunt of um, any sort of labor regulations um, you know, sometimes you are talking about um, medium and small enterprises who, um, you know, and these are the people that the government, you know, the, the people that are do, the people do support the changes in the law um, sort of point to as an example. Right. And, you know, these are the people that need quote, unquote, the flexibility to, um, you know, sort of deploy their labor forces in one way or another. You know, I, I think I think at this point there's. Um, I don't want to obviously rehash the arguments pro and con for this law, um, because I'm pretty sure Gavin has done this pretty much every week.
0: And if I have to do it again, I'm actually going to jump out the window.
2: Okay. (laughs) Um, For those of you listening, there are actually no windows in the studio right now. (laughs) Um, But I I think think the the, the way I kind of see how this all kind of unfolded towards the very end is that, um, you know, the these sort of labor regulations um this particular set of changes um to me it's a it's more of a que- it's a question of degree right it's a question of calibration i mean you can argue that you know it it's pro it, it gives employers and you know the um it, it gives employers more power than you know than we want or it gives labor you know not enough protection you know but i, I think i think as a matter of policy as a matter of degree um, it, it's 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 something that we can say. Okay, well, if this if this is a too if this changes too much, you know, we can calibrate it back, right? It, it, I don't I don't think this is a you know necessarily a question of okay, you know, if you support these particular changes, you must be, you know, you, you must you must hate labor in all forms, and you know you must not care about them at all, um, you know. And I, I think there are you know, now that the law has passed, you know, there are other things that. You know, we can work on to ensure that labor does have some other rights that they have that, that they can fight for, right for example, getting them um, better uh, access or easier ways for them to form unions, for example so I, I, it's, I the the issue is obviously much bigger than you know how many you know arguing over the number of hours of overtime um, to to death. This is kind of my point.
0: But of course, most of these, the labour rights groups, of course, traditionally were the DPP support base. So, do you think this could harm the DPP support base in this this year's local elections?
2: Um, well, well, I mean, yeah. Sorry. I, I think you will probably see some of an effect. Um, although um, my sort of gut sense is that um, it's not going to be the sort of overwhelming, you know, effect that we've kind of seen two years ago with. Um, you know, everybody saying the the KMT you know is totally conservative and free capital, and you know, not you know don't have the they didn't have the interests of um, labor or the interests of um, the young people in mind. I, I don't think you'll see that sort of a effect this time, um, and and I think it's. The, the problem is, you know, you you have to see if, if I am late brand upset at the DPP, does that necessarily change, uh, translate to me voting for somebody else? And right now, I don't really know if um, either the KMT or the new power party or any of the other um, opposition parties um, being able to sort of capture that support just yet.
1: And to, Yeah, to me, it's like, I mean, you were mentioning the unions and just being guests and a visitor to this country. I think there is plenty of unions mentioned in opposing that amendment of the amendment of the amendment. And uh, on the other hand, you had, to, I was last week in Taipei, and you have like a relatively small turnout of people protesting when you look into the number of people affected. So I wonder if that, what is maybe even a lack of like civil society awareness, or well, also, like, maybe people buy to the rhetoric that this is great stuff for the worker. Um, but I would, uh, for a different set of reasons, I would agree uh, that uh, this may not have, like, the, the largest sort of effect, because the turnouts of the process, to my, in my opinion, were rather small.
0: And, of course, the government kept citing polls, Jia Ting, saying that most people back the amendments to the amendments to the amendments.
1: Well, but you, I mean, you had this, like, I mean... The, and I've never been, like, on the left side of the political spectrum, so this sounds a bit odd listening to myself saying this here, but it's like, I mean, this has always been, like, let's say the promise of neoliberalism is not bad, like, in total. It's just, it sounds great, but it didn't pan out in the end for, I mean, if you look into, into many Western societies where wages have stuck, like, for 10, 15 years, something over the gap between rich and poor is widening, whatever. So, and at the same time, you had... A, it's also true that it's never been before in history of mankind so many people lifted out of poverty. So, you know, I mean, this is always like the rhetoric sounds very great. So I don't wonder that people in the polls may support that. But I think it's more likely to happen, more probable that this will lead to more exploitation of the worker than to more benefits for the worker. That's just what history tells us.
2: Well, I mean, I think with the polls, to me, there's um, sort of this undercurrent in Taiwanese society, right, where there has not been the tradition of the liberal of, you know, the social, you know, democratic traditions that European countries societies have mm. you know, over the last, you know, hundred hundred fifty years, right? Like the people and people in Taiwan just haven't had that um, sort of built into their psyche. Yes, like the, you know, as a collective, we need to. Um, think about labor, capital, labor, employment relations. You know, I, I think, you know, then then again, though, you know, if like polls, right, if overwhelmingly, that's the polling number, you know, we can't for the people who, you know, oppose the law. I mean, I think it's um, not I think it's it'll be irresponsible to just say, well, OK, well, I don't believe those numbers. Right. I mean, at the end oh of no,
1: I would always say they are right. I'm just right. saying like that's It shows like a lack of awareness, maybe, or so. Also, well, like try it out. Maybe this is like maybe Taiwan is like paradise, and it's like just the opposite than just like the indications from other similar cases. Well, so that would be I, awesome too. I
2: and mean, I mean, I don't. I, at this point, I don't. You know, yes, like maybe people are not as aware. Um, you know, but I, I think you know, then then it's not to say, well, you know, then we shouldn't do this law because people aren't, you know, essentially, if we take that, you know, as far as it could go, basically, we're saying, well, people just don't know what they're talking about. But we know because we're, you know, more informed or we are, you know, we know better and therefore the law shouldn't be passed, even though, you know, polls suggest that, you know, the, the majority of the people do support them. And, you know, ultimately, The party that wants to push this policy forward does have majority in the legislature, and they do control the executive. And so, you know, I think, I think, I think, for people who are against these set of changes, I think it's time to say, okay, you know what, you won this time around. um, You know, it's it's a time for us to fight the next set of battles.
0: And there we'll leave it because we'll have to move on. We will fight our next battles now and hopefully not talk about the labor laws again for several... Let's just put it it to months. Let's not be that optimistic that we won't get away from it. Anyway, we'll talk now about the Mainland Affairs Council, the Civil Aeronautics Administration and the Presidential Office this week. We're calling on China, all of three of them, to hold immediate talks on new flight routes. Now, China reneged on a 2015 cross strait agreement and unilaterally activated four new aviation routes close to the median line of the Taiwan Strait. And needless to say, that didn't sit too well here in Taipei. Now the routes are a northbound path on the M503 route and three east-west extension routes called the W121, the W122 and the W123. Now the M503 route at its nearest point is only 7.8 kilometres from the centre line of the Taiwan Strait and it's also close to the Taipei Flight Information Region, while the W122 and the W123 routes are close to Matsu and Jingmen. Now the move has sparked concerns about potential intrusions into domestic Flight routes to and from Matsu and Jingmen, and the government has reported its concern to the International Civil Aviation Organization. But of course, the ICAO has yet to respond, and there's continuing speculation that the global aviation body will be reluctant to do so because it might not want to get involved in a dispute as Taiwan is not a member. Now, the United States has voiced its concern about China's activation of the flight routes, with one senior policy advisor to the Secretary of State, Rox Tillerson, saying that Washington opposes any. Any one-sided actions that alter the cross-strait status quo. So, jetting these flight routes—trouble, j- or slightly, maybe not as much trouble as people are concerned about at the moment.
2: I mean, I, from what I've heard, sort of anecdotally, people are opposed to them. You know, I've heard somebody say, "Well, because you can have a flight flying on these routes, and then you know, certain t- all of a sudden take a s- sharp turn, and turns out to not be." A civilian aircraft, but you know loaded with weapons and you know I, I think I think we're a lot of times we're kind of thinking in these um you know sort of extreme situations or situations where yes, it is possible for that to happen, but what are the the probabilities of you know something like that happening to me? I think the more serious issue here is the um is China unilaterally doing these things um reneging on a cross straits agreement right. And so on the one hand, um, you know, this is the time for Taiwan to say, hey, you know, the past, the previous administration said, you know, good relations with Beijing. We can sign all these agreements. We can set up, you know, we we can sort of outline and define the way we interact and coexist peacefully under the, the status quo. And apparently, of course, you know, surprise, surprise, China, after a few years, said, you know what? yeah no, we're just gonna do whatever what we, what we we're gonna do. we're just gonna do whatever we want and um I think it's this is a chance for Taiwan to either show that you know we do have some sort of a backbone. We are going to fight this some way and to you know and the opportunity to show the rest of the world that you know Taiwan is not the troublemaker that um you know it gets labeled so often in the you know, in in the past uh, several decades. Alexander,
1: yeah, I mean, this is again. I, see, yeah, I think, um, as you said, it's like Beijing, like trying to, you know, allude to their fact that they, they are not talking to a total, completely equal entity here on the other side of the of the Strait, and that that's something that, like, that some of the the events in the last month uh, hint to also the the summit in the Philippines, where usually like there has been. Um, granted, also audience uh, by the Hong Kong government to Xi Jinping, which was also a cancer So just showing, like, the smaller, you know, like say, periphery that they are not on on total equal terms. I would agree to that. So that that is rather that's rather the um, the background of the whole story, than like really having a, a practical reason for this or that road.
0: But of course, along with air safety, as Jetting mentioned, the fact is this this does point to beijing being able to renege on any deal it signs with taiwan and basically nobody caring
1: well yeah, that would, like, that's what i'm saying like in a contract you have two equal partners who have like and the contract the mean of the the, 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 the reasoning of the contract is that equal partners other than just like battling themselves on the field which just like agree on civilized terms to a an uh, an equal like stance and that's uh, what you may be seeing. You have the same rhetoric uh, in, in Hong Kong about the basic law. You have it in in regard to uh, Taiwan's status that uh, Xi Jinping said that in his uh, October address that um, there would be no uh, uh, toleration of if the tini- tiniest are uh, of uh, of agreements would be changed. So that's like, uh, that's all hinting to, to that sort of uh, interpretation.
0: Right, Jetting, do you think Taipei should be trusting Beijing after this or should be very wary about doing any deals with Beijing?
2: I mean, I think Taiwan or anybody should be very wary of doing any deals with Beijing. Um, not, I mean, not just from this instance, but um, I think it's very clear in the way that, as um, as Alex said, um the way Beijing has been treating Hong Kong, right? Um and you know last year basically coming out and saying, well, you know, the 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 agreement we signed with the United Kingdom over Hong Kong is is a historical document and and is not relevant anymore. Um and that's just not how contracts and not how treaties and how agreements work, right? Because people rely on the terms of the treaty. And so um I think this is just one more sign um, in a series of um, in a series of signs for this trend of you know China sort of throwing their weight around and saying you know what we're just going to um, we're just going to do what we want and you know it doesn't matter if we've agreed to something otherwise in the past.
1: And, and that could that could very much work uh, consequently in the favor of Taiwan, also in the favor of Hong Kong, with. This is Hong Kong uh, political scientist Brian Fung, who, who argues that if you if you tighten grip from the center, you may automatically foster and spark um, um, opposition in the periphery. And uh, in the, having said that, it's also like uh, if you look into um, international support for either Hong Kong or Taiwan, uh, I'd always argue that if Taiwan would tomorrow say, "Oh, we are independent," there would not be much of a, a support for. From the international community, because they would say, "Oh, that was really not precautious at all, but if you see Beijing taking like steps and and and, and steps after steps to either, first of all not uh, maintaining what they signed for in agreement, but also like to in a certain way like a certain way like bullying like uh, smaller neighbors, if you will uh, that may also arise the awareness of the international community what is to be expected by China becoming more and more powerful, and that may as we also heard and Several instances, large as last week, me sparking again the support of uh, the United States uh, government.
0: Right, and then we shall move on to a couple of deals that are good for Taiwan, that being the United States House of Representatives passing the Taiwan Travel Act this week, which encourages visits by officials at all levels between the US and Taiwan, and they also passed a bill directing the US Secretary of State to help Taiwan regain observer status in the World Health Organization. So, Jia do you think these bills will go anywhere?
2: Um I think the bills will go um will be signed into law. Um I think it you know I think it's a matter of time. Um I just don't um I, I would be a little bit more um cautiously optimistic as to how much effect these laws have, right? So if you look at the actual text of the law, it says the state department shall um do this and that. The you know the White House should direct, should or shall direct um, the state departments who issue visas to and you know, allow these high level visits um, in the united states the um the foreign affairs is pretty much um sort of enclosed as a um as a as a as a function of the executive right and so um in in these cases the 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 law does not um specifically require or mandate that um the uh, the president and vice president of taiwan um visit um the us i think it basically just says we we the, it is the will of congress to direct the state department to um to you know to do this it, in other words we really 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 would like you to do this um other than that um you know it doesn't really have much um of a um effect and doesn't really have much of an enforcement mechanism um, for this to happen, yeah, exactly. and
1: I, yeah, and I also, I mean, I say like there would there wouldn't be like let's say I'm German that the German government, the German Parliament, like issuing a law or being asked by the government to issue a law or whatever. That is, uh, I think we wouldn't have that in, in in that sort of mechanism. I think that's kind of a a strong signal uh, heralding what there's a wish for where United States foreign policy should be headed. Uh, and uh, it's maybe also like it's in the nuances that like this may hint to um, either the United States su- supporting the idea of this, um, the one China uh, policy, yet while you grant uh, a high level access of members of other, of, of Taiwanese government, that should also, I mean, this is me like interpreting, but that could also like mean to just say, look, we, we realize Taiwan is Something special, at least. So, and that should also then be. where I'm sure Beijing is a bit worried about this uh, happening altogether. And I think that uh, that these are the tiny baby steps for you. After a while, a period of time, you see a shift in 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 geo political um, uh, um, circumstances.
2: Yeah, and I, I think you know, at, at this point, the law has passed the House, right? So it still has a it has still has to clear the hurdle of the Senate, um, and then. You know, if there's a difference in both versions, then they will have to hash out those versions. So it's not um, there's still a sub, uh, there's still a number of hurdles that it has to pass through. Um, but I, I do think it's a very good sign that it passed unanimously in the house, Like g- g- given how much controversy there is, you know, going on and how much uh, you know, shall we say, bipartisanship, um, you know, we're seeing <laughs> in uh, U.S. Congress. I think it's it's a good sign that the Taiwan issue. Um, at least still remains um, something that both the Republicans and the Democrats um, can find some sort of bill that they can sign on to.
0: Right, and we have to take a short break now, but we will be right back after these important messages. Welcome back to Taiwan this week, and the Ministry of Culture has lashed out at Beijing following confirmation that a Taiwan-produced television series has been removed from the Chinese television channels on claims that it received pro-independence sponsorship. Now, My Dear Boy, as the show is called, is produced by television and film producer Ruby Lin, and it was pulled after Chinese netizens complained that the series received 20 million NT in financial subsidies from the, well, the Ministry of Culture here in Taiwan. Now, the social media users in China reportedly went on to make the rather lofty claim that allowing the programme to air in China will be tantamount to fully supporting Taiwan independence. And the television show was in fact pulled from the schedule after just two episodes. Now, the Ministry of Culture says that financial support went to Gala Television, the company that produced the show, as part of a government subsidy to help boost production of local television dramas. Because, of course, here in Taiwan, people are watching a lot of career- Korean and Chinese dramas. So, jieting, the government giving money to TV programs? Not a problem. But Beijing, or rather, the Chinese computer users' reaction to this? Problem
2: or no problem? Oh, I think it's definitely a problem. Again, I think this is a trend that we've been seeing, um, you know, sort of increase in tenor in the last um, year or two years, right? So, you have, um, basically, you have this promise to, Um, from China to the outside world. When I'm saying China, we're saying uh, I'm I'm saying um, representatives of China towards the outside world kind of representing that, yes, China the the biggest draw for China is its massive market. Right? And so we're saying Korean uh, firms, you know, Korean um, entertainment, um, you know, Japanese electronics makers, you know, U.S. um, films, you know, everybody wants a slice of the Chinese market right and so china, th- that's sort of the negotiating leverage that china's you know been using um, that's the core advantage that china has now um i, I think it's come kind of come, come, come time for them to kind of test this out um for netizens to say hey um you want our market yes but we are going to essentially censor um either content or punish you um for um, things that we don't agree with, right? So we're seeing this um, sort of boycott of Japanese goods over the Sunkaku Islands, the Diaoyu uh, Islands. Um, we're seeing these um, boycotts of Japanese uh, Korean music, Korean drama over um, fad. When uh, when Seoul agreed to um, uh, 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 when when I think it was Lot the. Uh, yeah the, Korean, yeah, the Korean department store. The department the department store, which um, you know, I think they they leased land to um, to build missile uh, defense, and it, in you know, I, I think we've had these um, situations where netizens in in China basically complained about um, you know certain celebrities or certain entertainers. Um, I think two years ago, we all remember what happened to. Um, Zhou Ziyu from uh, the Korean pop group Twice, right? And so I think there, the the netizens kind of feel more empowered these days to say, okay, we 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 do have this market, but we can organize and and kind of you know use this market leverage to you know, steer people um, kind of the way we want. And and I think I think it's time for people um, on the doing business China to kind of rec- to to have a reckoning and say, okay, is this the kind of market that we want to then depend on, have our business model depend on.
0: Because of course, who are these netizens in China? I mean, are they regular people? Are they people that maybe have been told or advised to take to their computers and complain about things?
2: Right. I mean, we don't have, um, you know, we don't have hard evidence, but I think it's a sort of an open secret that um, uh, there's people online that are, are organized and, you know, even paid by um, authorities to um, steer the uh, internet conversations one way or another. And, uh, yeah,
1: and I, yeah, and I, exactly. And I think this is leads back to like government involvement, and then also this leads back to what we had earlier about contracts. I'm quite sure when you. When you buy a television series, you may have a contract uh, about that, and so if you just like down t- decide to shut down um, a TV program, you must also do that on legal grounds, and not because somebody in the internet says so. So they're they're all just this, this, like, the same kind of thing, and it leads to. I remember that when I was young, and I'm still sure that exists in France. They had like a certain measurement about like songs in French language and in foreign language. So there is like there you find cultural protectivity like in many parts of the world for for a variety of reasons, and you also see that uh, in 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 China coming about. But on the other hand, like they say, well Taiwan is a part of, of of China and is a part of our culture and 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 somehow inherent to our culture. So that wouldn't make any sense to block that program. Uh, on such on uh, cultural premises. So again, it's back to there must be a contract about the, the conditions under which this program is aired, And if this contract was not violated, then there's also no legal ground to, to, to cancel the program.
0: But, I mean, a rather lofty claim, Jia Ting. It's tantamount to supporting Taiwan independence because it received funding from the government.
1: Well, that's something, again, what I'm saying, like, if it's not stated in the... I mean, I don't know, like, these, uh, in free societies, or like, let's say, if you go to Germany or America, whatever, you get a variety of funding for a new movie, and this is partly private partly government because if you shoot like a movie in the city of Frankfurt there is like a movie office as I want to say they give you money for like showing a few scenes of the city to spark tourism so I have no idea what what is the background of that in in China
2: you know no and I think I think everybody knows that it's a ridiculous claim Um, but it's a claim that works and I think um, everybody who um, you know who wants to see the show go um, you know, because it is sponsored by Taiwan. And I think I think it's just, at, at the end of the day, they're throwing their weight around again, right? And to say, okay, look, everybody wants our market. Everybody had a lot of business, a lot of dollars um, depend on um, our support or our consumption of these products. And, you know, be, just because we don't like the fact that it's from Taiwan or we don't like the fact that the government sponsored it um, and we don't like whoever, we don't like the party that's, in power in the government in Taiwan right now. Yes, we can just make something up, and say you know do these say these ridiculous claims, and you know as long as people buy into them, and as long as people say okay, you know like I don't I don't know about you, but I believe it. Right, as long as people are willing to say that, they can they can throw their way around, and you know I think um, you know there's uh, this goes back right.
0: to the argument of believing things you read on the internet, of course, and of course China is not the only country with that problem.
2: Oh, right. Um... Well, OK, I won't get into that right
0: now. <laughs> no, we'll move, on. we'll move on somewhere else before we insult an entire country. Anyway, illegal factories on farmland made the news this week, and the government has said that the factories set up on farmland after May the 20th of 2016 will be demolished or must be moved to industrial zones. Now, there had been talk the government could be set to legalise such factories, but Deputy Interior Minister Hua Jingquan this week dismissed such speculation when he laid out the government's new farmland. Farming policy. And he said that 17 illegal factories are slated to be torn down by March and another 10 of the factories will be demolished after May. Environmental groups are applauding the move, but not quite as much as one would have thought, as they argue that the large number of illegal factories built on farmland shows that land management is in fact weak in Taiwan. Now, according to Council of Agriculture data, about 13,000 hectares of farmland is being used illegally, and of the 38,000 unregistered illegal factories across the island,
2: 40%, a staggering 40% of those are actually on farmland i mean that that is actually not surprising um to me i think if you look just if you just look over taiwan right um it's not you you have far. you have factories and towns dot the landscape in in, in the countryside right in, in the cities you see um all sorts of um you know all sorts of additions and, and modifications and you know rooftop shacks that are not um you know up you know that are not that are not uh you know that are not legal essentially, right? And and I think the problem here is when you have sort of this lack of enforcement for so many years and um you know it's sort of built into the way people do business, right? How do you all of a sudden come down and say, okay, everybody has to relocate, everybody has to um, you know, everybody has to change everything the way about how they do business. Um, I, I, I almost want to say um, it's uh, close to being impossible to completely just step, you know, put your foot down and say, okay, everybody just has to relocate.
1: Well, I, I, I'm too new to the country to really get like the deeper um, meanings and layers, layers of that. Uh, my, but what I heard is like what I read is about is also about pollution, air pollution. I guess that's especially in the west of the country, like a big issue. So whatever you can do to um, minimize um, air pollution uh, uh, from, from areas that are already polluted, uh, that should be, to my, in my opinion, a good step.
0: I mean, Jetting, do you see the government actually demolishing all these factories I and mean, this issue will continue for many
2: years? Uh, I think this issue will um, definitely continue for many years down the line. And, you know, I think he, all of these issues, you know, I, I think would be worth our time to kind of think about together. right? So we have the labor issues and we're talking about um we're talking about transitioning our economy and our manufacturing sector to something that's more, you know, higher value, that's more, um, you know, technologically advanced. And, and you know, I, I think all of these things are sort of happening at once, but um, it is really getting to the root and the core of how people do business and how and how people sort of interact with each other, right? And those are the expectations in society of, you know, how, what, the, what the costs are of doing certain things. And I think... Um, Changing those things overnight is not going to happen, and you know I think it, it takes a lot of, um you know, it takes a lot of time for people to kind of come around to the fact that okay maybe you know it's not appropriate to say hey you know my uncle or my aunt has a piece of land in the south hey you want to put together you know a quick you know bicycle you know you know like manufacturing shop in the in a shack on, on, you know, on my uncle's land, you know, and I think that's the way it's been done in the past. And, you know, I think it's going to take some time for people to, um, you know, for the for the whole of the society to say, okay, we're going to either incur more costs, we're going to incur more regulations, but we're going to do things, quote unquote, the right way. Um, we're going to do things quote unquote, a different way from now on. So, you know, I think it does take a lot of time for that um, change of mentality and the change of expectations to change.
1: It reminds me a bit like of uh, of Turkey when Turkey was uh, still worth mentioning. I mean, as a democratic country, um, they have settlements. They are called getcha kondus and that means build overnight. And there has been like a, a sort of interpretation of an old Muslim law, or Ottoman law, if you will, uh, where whatever has been built overnight is not allowed to be destructed. And uh, the Turkish government had had a huge battle, like in cities like Istanbul, where people would just build a house overnight. Whereas they were like, um, however, not safe when it came to earthquakes and whatnot. So there has been a, a, a struggle between the government and, let's say, local customs. And what I hear is like also kind of a, a local custom how you how you used to do things in the past, but they are not entirely safe, and they also may not uh, contribute to benefit for all. So that reminds me, like, uh, the debate reminds me a bit about the debate back then in Turkey
0: right and before we go this evening a week after the foreign ministry was left red-faced over its passport image faux pas made column inches around the world of course that story well the criminal investigation bureau this week was made to look rather dim in the international press after it was forced to apologize for giving away over 50 usb thumb drives that were infected with malware now of course making it all the more embarrassing was the fact that the usb sticks had been purchased from contractors and some of them were made in China. Now the drivers were given away during a cyber security quiz in mid-December held at a data security expo which just happened to be hosted and here it gets even worse and even more embarrassing it was hosted by the presidential office. Needless to say President Tsai ing was not amused. Now authorities have said that the malware program collected personal data from older 32-bit computers and sent it to unidentified servers. So jetting another cock-up
2: to use A word by a government agency in two weeks. Um, All I have to say is hashtag not the onion. Um, I mean, okay, people screwed up. Guys, like, get it together, okay?
0: (laughs) At a cybersecurity event, they gave away tainted USBs. Alexander.
1: Well, I mean, it's just like it's a bit like the irony of the story that I think makes it to the headlines that it happened at a cybersecurity conference and that uh, the handout was uh, delivered by an entity that should be like very much aware. Of the dangers of malware, so that that makes it like a fun headline, I guess. But I mean, yeah, I, sh- I think it's just like okay, now everybody got the point and uh, move on.
0: Jetting the Criminal Investigation Bureau, do you think they're moving on? Do you think they're being rather careful at the pace they move on?
2: Um, I think I think they should move on, and, and you know, I think I think the people we as the the public does you know deserve to know okay, just what happened, right? Um, I think. Um, it wouldn't hurt to have an investigation into as you know as to who and where things have gone wrong, um, you know, and and I think it. This is the thing, right? It, people say trust is hard to build but easy to destroy, right? And you know, this is the time. This is a time when there's all of these major reforms um, that are coming up, right? As, as we've been talking about all evening. Um, these reforms that hit to the core of how people do business and um sort of relate to each other in this country. And you know, the government is asking us to trust, you know, oh yes, we will protect we will protect um the leverage that labor has uh with um their employers in these um negotiations that we put in put in. Well, okay, um then you pull something like this where you're giving out viruses at a anti you know at a at a cybersecurity event mm, yeah i think you know there is a lot of work to do
0: yes and there is a lot of work to do but we can't do it now because that was it for this week's show here on taiwan this week and i've been joined today in the studio by Ting ye good night everybody and alexander gorlack on the phone from Gaoshung. Good night, everyone. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcasts on iTunes and Android podcast apps where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 8.30 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.